Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. It's uh, quite ironic that we would be preaching on the Holy Spirit because the way my week is going and my preparation, it'll be an absolute miracle of the Holy Spirit if, if any of this makes sense today. But I know He's greater than my inefficiencies. So I want to start... Uh, by reading in the book of John, if you would, turn to chapter 16. I'm going to start somewhere around, uh, I think it's verse 5 or 6, and then uh, we're going to kind of go through that in just a minute. Uh, but Dr. Freeman's right. As we look forward to Pentecost, being able to focus on the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, uh, the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and what that means for us is something we definitely want to do. So I want to read a little bit out of, out of the book of John, uh, chapter 16, and then we'll, we'll go from there. And he says this in chapter 16, he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who, who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Let's pray just real quick. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to God, we thank You so much for Your Word, Lord. We thank You for who You are, that You have called us to Yourself, that You have called us to others. But You did not leave us as orphans, Lord. You gave us Your Spirit to guide and correct. You gave us Your Spirit to teach, to walk hand in hand, step in step with us, Lord. To open up the world, Lord, and let us see it in a new light. To see people with value and worth, Lord, regardless of of how they affect us. Lord, help us to do that today. Help us to to take away distractions and just focus on You just for a few moments. Speak through this message, Lord. Speak into the hearts of Your people so that we can leave here, Lord, and love a world that so desperately needs to see You in the life of the church. We love You and thank You for this. We ask all this in Your name. Amen. It says in that that first verse, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to Him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? Uh, now, I think we know that those of you who have read these verses, you understand that this isn't just something Jesus is saying in word, because actually, I know Peter specifically had asked, where are you going? He must be talking about something greater. And I want to kind of give a little bit of context, because sometimes the disciples get a bad rap, but think about it and try to put yourselves in their, their position for a moment. They had no disposition in their life of a Messiah that comes and dies and then is resurrected. The only resurrection they've been taught their whole life is the one at the end of it all when God comes and calls His people home and He builds His kingdom on earth. They had zero understanding of this. Sometimes we like to give them a bad rap like they should have understood this because they've been walking with Jesus. But you try to undo your damage from birth on. We're still trying to do this now. So we've got to give them a little slack in this. They don't, they don't understand this. They don't get what Jesus is actually saying. So in this moment when He's saying this to them, like, hey, you know, you haven't even asked me where I'm going, yet you're already filled with grief and sorrow. How often in our lives do we do this very thing? 
something changes in our life or something doesn't work out the way we think it should or the way we thought it was going to look, it doesn't happen. And and, and we're not thinking about, well, maybe this is good. Maybe it's supposed to be this way. See, see, it isn't that Peter didn't ask the right question or he didn't say what Jesus said that they didn't say. It's about their heart. They're not worried about Jesus' fate. They're thinking about their own situation in that moment. The sorrow they're going to feel, oh, it's about to change for me. Oh, this is going to be uncomfortable. What's going to happen to me? What am I going to do now? And Jesus is saying, your perspective is so small. You're not thinking big enough here. You're not asking the right questions, yet you're already filled with sorrow and grief, and you don't even know what's coming next. How often do we do that? How often does something change in our lives or something doesn't work out the way we think it should? Do we immediately say, well, maybe this is better for the kingdom. Maybe this is better for something else. Maybe God has something greater for me. But we automatically, we're filled with sorrow and we're filled with some sort of self-pity over our own situation without even thinking maybe God has a greater perspective and a greater plan in light of that. But they are. They're, they're feeling bad. They're feeling sorrowful about this. And he goes on and he says, he says, none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. But nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For the disciples, this had to be shocking. How? How is this to our advantage? How is it to our advantage that your miracles stop? How is it to our advantage that, that you were beaten? How is it to our advantage that you had to die? How is it to our advantage that now you're leaving us? you got to think about it just for a moment, that the disciples, when he died on that cross, we like to say, to point out all the time, that the disciples were nowhere to be found. They were hiding. Well, of course they were hiding. They had no understanding of a Messiah that dies. Now, imagine they're probably not just hiding for fear. They're probably hiding from embarrassment. In that moment, they probably think just for a moment, oh no, they were right. We've been following a heretic our whole life. We've been following a heretic for three years. We've been following a cult leader. Now, Jesus shows up out of that tomb, and you've got to think about the excitement in their, in their minds and in their hearts. Like, we're vindicated, not just Jesus being vindicated, but everything that we thought was true must be true. Now, Jesus is saying, no, i got to go. I can't stay here with you, but, it, but it's to your advantage that I go. And he says this, he says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, Jesus seems to be saying this, you're going to have to let it go. You're going to have to let something go. You got to let me go if you want to receive the gift I have planned for you. How true is that for your life today? There might be some things in your life right now that God's saying, you need to let it go because I have something better for you. Maybe it's control. Maybe God's saying, hey, maybe you need to let go of control of your life. Let me have control because there's greater freedom to come. Let go of control. Maybe it's your own ideals. Maybe God's saying, hey, you need to let go of your own ideas about how life should be, how your life should look, and let me renew your mind. Because maybe I have a bigger picture, a better picture. Maybe it's your plan. God's saying, let go of your plan, apply my plan, because I can promise you my plan is bigger and greater than the plan that you have for yourself. It may not look the way you want it to look, but it's better. And he's telling the disciples, you're going to have to let something go if you want to receive my gift. Let it go. I often think sometimes, and I don't want to oversimplify, oversimplify it, because I understand change is hard. 
loss is hard. It's hard when things abruptly change. I'm not saying that you feeling, you know, sorrowful or hurt or pain is illegitimate. Because it is. It is hard when things change. When things go away. When something doesn't work out the way we think it should. It is. Now, I completely understand that. And one of the things, you know, I get asked all the time. I get asked, why did he have to die the way he did? Like, why did Jesus have to be put on a cross? And I think that that's a... A, a deep question that would take far too long for me to stand up here and answer today. But I got to think, maybe it's just because, maybe just as simple as this, because one day, we're going to stand before Jesus and meet Him eye to eye. And, and what's going to be your excuse? What's going to be your excuse when He looks at you and He says, why don't you love the people I told you to love? Well, it was too painful. It was too uncomfortable. It, it took too much time. I did more in three and a half years than you're going to do in 60, 70, 80 years of your life. What kind of excuse do you have? Pain? Who knows more about pain than Jesus? Who knows more about being uncomfortable than Jesus? Who knows more about being beaten and put down and discriminated against than Jesus? And so often we do this very thing. Well, I get change is hard. But it can't be our excuse not to love who he's told us to love. You want to look at Jesus in the eye and you're going to say, he's going to ask you, why don't you forgive that person? And you're going to say, well, it was just too hard. Who knows more about forgiveness than Jesus? The man who came and died for the very people who killed him. What's going to be your excuse in that moment? What's going to be your excuse to a man who was brutally beaten? In a time where most people didn't even make it through the beating. And then he had nails drawn inside of his ankle bones and into his wrist where he had to lift up on his wrist just to breathe. What's our excuse for not loving and bringing the gospel to the lost? Inconvenience? You think Jesus wasn't inconvenienced on the cross? Maybe it's just as simple as that. But he says you've got to let some things go. You've got to let some things go if you want to receive my gift. Because... What's happened up to this point? He's talking about this helper that's going to come. What's happened so far about the Holy Spirit is we see in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would come and He would rest on people. He would overshadow people. Right? He would come upon someone. He would come upon someone who had some kind of calling or purpose that God had laid before them to empower them, to give them the words, to give them the, the action to go forward and do what's been called to be done. And now you're here with the disciples, and now here it is, Emmanuel. God is with them. So the Spirit would rest upon them. Now they have God with them. And I think Jesus is trying to tell them, you got to let me go because here's the thing. It's okay for me to rest upon you, to overshadow you. I like being with you, but the thing is, the flesh can limit me in what I need to do. But what the flesh can limit, the Spirit can overcome. Listen, it's not just, I love you, but I can't just be confined with just you. The world needs me. The world needs to have me. So listen, Jesus is saying, I don't want to just be upon you. I don't want to just be with you confined. I want to be in you. I want to be in you. God said, I want to live in your life, intimately in your life. This is a major part of the Holy Spirit that he makes us incarnate like Christ, to live and participate in Christ's life. And this is what He does. He allows us that very thing. And He says, but if, if I go away, the Helper 
will not come if I don't leave. But if I do go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. That world, that word convict, it carries with it this idea of exposing, right? Of bringing to light the things in our life, in the world. And he said, this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do concerning sin. Because they do not believe in me. Because they do not believe in me. Unbelief seems to be the pinnacle of our sinful nature. Unbelief seems to be the pinnacle of our sinful nature. And in the Holy Spirit is going to convict us of that very sin. He's going to convict us of that sin. I had a conversation with some of my kids in class, and I was telling them, you know, so often we like to think we're a lot different than the people in the Bible, than the people who, who put Jesus on the cross. But here's the thing. If Jesus walked in that door right now, if He walked in the door right now, I can promise you we would have Him on death row within three days. We would. You're not disconnected from that story. We would have you on death row within three days. Because here's the thing. When when you're blind and you cannot see, Jesus is the guy you want around. He's the guy that looks at you and says, hey, open your eyes. Here's the sight. And when you can't walk, you want Jesus around because he'll tell you to get up and run. When you don't have enough, you want the man who can take little and multiply it and make you have more than enough. But I'll tell you what Jesus would do apart from that is he would walk in this room and he would look into the depths of your life. He would look so deep into your life that the person next to you that you maybe say you love, maybe your best friend, maybe your husband, maybe your wife, don't even know the depth in which sin is touched. And he would say, not that. You need to change that. You need to remove that. You need to let that thing go that you've been comfortable with your whole life. You need to let this idea of me go that isn't right. And we we would say, crucify him. This is the very reason he got put on the cross, right? Israel had gotten too comfortable with some very simple things. He cleanses the temple. You would think that this would be something that would be common knowledge, right? Like, well, yeah, God's place, it shouldn't be a market. It's a holy place. It's a place where we meet God. Yet they were using it in the wrong way. They'd gotten comfortable with something that didn't belong, and Jesus challenged them on it. What have you gotten comfortable in your life that don't belong? Are there things in your life right now that don't belong? And I think we have gotten a lot comfortable with things that don't belong. I was even thinking about the fact that, man, just talking to my grandfather and the things that would have been on TV and on, on, during the middle of the day back then compared to what we can go home at 12 o'clock in the afternoon and turn on TV and see today, oh my goodness, it's scandalous. You want to know why we turn on the news every day and we see that somebody's done walk into somewhere public and shot up the place? Well, how about this? Why are we arming our 10 and 11-year-olds with controllers where they can play games where all it is about is mass murder? No wonder. No wonder they get to an adult life. They don't have anything to, they don't know what to do with it. And the game no longer, you know, feels that need. So what do they do? They go out and they act it out in the world. It's the very thing they've been seeing their whole life. It's what we've been allowing them to do. We've gotten comfortable with things that don't belong. And we've gotten comfortable with things in the church that don't belong. And this is what's happening. He's going to convict us of these very things, the things we got comfortable with. Think about what he said about taxes. The next thing, this is super simple. Hey, give un, render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's, give unto God's what is God's. And it seems as whereas we're talking about taxes here, how does this lead to you want to kill Jesus? Well, maybe because in that moment, if you think that the Messiah is what he's going to do, is he's just going to come and take care of all the people who are being mean to you and put you at the forefront, well, the moment he doesn't do that, 
And he tells you, no, 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 what you actually should do is forgive and serve these people who are hurting you. You should actually love them. Well, automatically, he no longer fits in your box anymore. He, he is, that ain't the Messiah you want to serve. He isn't doing what you, he didn't show up the way you wanted him to. Well, let's kill him. And this is exactly what Jesus would do. And this is what the Holy Spirit allows us to do. It allows us to see this clearly, that in the world, the world is broken, the world has fallen, and we've allowed things in our life that don't belong. And Jesus is saying, even in this moment, you got to let some things go if you really want to receive my gift. If you really want to receive my gift, there's some things in your life that don't belong. you got some ideas about me that don't belong, and you got to let them go because I have something greater for you. And then he says, of righteousness, of righteousness. And, and this, this, should, this line alone should give us all pause. And he says, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Well, if Jesus is the bar for righteousness and what is allowed in the kingdom, we might all want to take a little inventory of our life. If, if it's not just flowery words, then Jesus is the actual bar for what it means to live in the world, a broken, fallen world, and live righteously as a human being who feels pain, has hunger, has limits on his time and space. What excuse do we have? We might want to check ourselves if, we, if we're sitting in here today and we think, no, I'm right, I'm good. Maybe not. How do you compare to Jesus who says that it's because of righteousness and I'm the one, I'm ascending to the Father, and the only way you're getting to where I'm going is if you're righteous like me. You better live the way I live. You better talk the way I talk. You better think the way I think. You better participate in my life. And I think this is what major about the Holy Spirit. I was talking to my class this week and I asked them about the cross as we were going through Holy Week. And I said, what does the cross mean to you? And every one of them, unanimously me across the board, every class I had, forgiveness. And I was telling them, I was like, that's such a low bar, a low view of the cross. It's almost pagan. It is. It's almost pagan. Because I'm asking you, what, why does Paul say that the resurrection is the pinnacle of what we believe? Listen, if he did not raise, our faith is in vain. Why? It doesn't make much sense if the cross is only forgiveness. It says in Revelations this, it says the blood of the Lamb had to be shed so that we could be a nation of priests, a holy nation of priests. See, I don't think the cross is about forgiveness at all. If it is, it's such a small part of it. I think it's about your vocation. I think it's about what you've been called to do. And see, in the West, especially in America, we have this view where we view everything in morality, right? We have the law of God. Oh, can I live up to the law? Oh, no, I didn't. I, I failed it. Oh, no, here comes the punishment. Oh, wait, Jesus stepped in the way. That's the way we kind of view things. But that's such a low view because we're not just some kind of moral machines. I think morality is important. It's important in your daily life. It's important in how you interact with the world, but it's not all you are. See, see God says you're an image bearer. And to be an image bearer, that means you're going to reflect God's love into the world. And what comes back to him is that love reflected back off of us in praise and worship. You're, you're more than just a moral machine. You're an image bearer. This should give you a little bit of pause in your life. What it means, the value you have, that you should be reflecting God's love into the world. And we talk about righteousness. The cross seems to be that 
I think we would all agree that there are dark forces in this world. You want to call them God, little G, I don't care. You want to call them sex, power, money, it doesn't matter. There are things in this world that we give control over to in our lives. We give too much control, too much time, and too much power in our lives. And what Jesus does on that cross is He overcomes those powers. He overcomes all of that. He says He defeats the powers and principalities of this world. And He shows you that even fully man... Fully man that you can live in a fallen world that wants to chew you up and spit you out, that wants to destroy you. And hey, how about this? It might. It might kill you. Yet you can live it being righteous. You can live it by following the will of God. That you can do it even with limitations, even with inefficiencies. That you can live in a world that only wants to put you down, drag you into the depths, chew you up, spit you out, and even kill you. Yet you can do it by following God's will, and you can do it by living a righteous life. How many of us are actually participating in the life of Jesus? Are we following Jesus, or have we made some, some caveats here or there? Nah, well that didn't really apply to me. I don't think he really meant that fully. Ah, he doesn't really want me to be held to that standard all the way. No. He's called you to have His mind, His heart, and your hands and feet should follow suit. You should be living and reflecting Jesus in the world today. And God help us. It sure does need it. It needs a church that's willing to reflect Jesus in the world. It's not willing to bend our morality to culture. It's not willing to bend what we know is true to, 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 the, to the powers of this world. And last, he says, for justice. He says, for justice, concerning justice, because the ruler of this world is judge. I asked my young people again, I said, just pretend for a moment that, that I don't know who God is. That I heard you mention God, and I'm asking you, explain this God that you speak of. Just tell me about Him. Tell me His character. Tell me His traits. And they begin to list them off. And, and I'm sure if I asked the same question, uh, you would get every one of them. That, hey, he's love. He's compassionate. He's patient. He's forgiving. They're going through all these things. And out of all the classes I had, I had two kids who mentioned the word just and mentioned the word jealous. Do you think that we're doing a disservice to people today by not giving them the full picture of who God is? Because it says in the Bible, it says in the Bible He's merciful, but it says He's just, right? It says He's forgiving, He's compassionate, yet it says He's jealous. It says He's love, but it says there's some specific things in your life that He hates. He hates sin in your life. And I think we've done a disservice not giving the full picture of God and who He is to our young people to the older generations, our churches. We've made Jesus this kind of cuddly teddy bear that forgives everything you ever do and all you have to do is say, I'm sorry. When that, I can't find things like that in the Bible. It seems to me that the Bible says this, you better repent. And repentance is vastly different than just forgiveness. Repentance means you, you're going one way and you see what's going on and you turn and go the other. How often are we just kind of, well, we're just good with just kind of appeasing our sin but it flares back up a little bit later. God says, no, I want to remove the sin from your life. You need repentance. I've already forgiven you. You need repentance. 
The cross gives us that. And I'm telling you this, if we honestly, by the power of the Holy Spirit, want to participate in the life of Jesus, you want to walk in that life that means that the world's probably going to discriminate against you. The world's probably going to put you down. The world's probably going to try to kill you. How important is the resurrection to you then? How important is the resurrection to you then if you want to live Jesus' life to the point where the gospel may lead you to a place where it kills you? Don't you want to be vindicated as Christ was? You want to know why it's the pinnacle of our faith? That's it. Not only is it a vindication of Jesus, but Jesus says, I'll vindicate you one day. And this helper that I'm going to send, he's going to convict you of sin. He's going to convict you of this righteousness. He's going to give you the power to live righteous. And he's going to show you the justice that needs to be in the world, not just in your own life, not that there are just consequences for your own decisions, but you're going to be able to look in other people's lives and see the damage and brokenness that sin has wrought in their life. And this is what the Holy Spirit means to us. This helper, the paraclete, the one that comes along beside us. Sometimes we use him as an excuse. Sometimes we, we like to look at the Holy Spirit and say, well, I don't feel like he's leading me to do this or that. It's always funny to me that that's always used in light of ministry. Like, there's a ministry opportunity, and all of a sudden we need to go pray about it. And we need to hear the loud, booming voice of God telling us to do it. When it seems to me that Jesus has already told you to serve and love. I don't care if it doesn't fit your gifts. Serve and love. But we don't need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to to watch 40 hours of Netflix each week. We don't need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to watch football all day on Saturday. But when it comes to ministry and loving others, I better, I better hear that voice from God. I can't do it yet. I can't do it yet. It doesn't fit my giftings. Well, it seems to me you've already gotten that call. The interesting thing about the Holy Spirit, I was reading in Matthew, and we see that the disciples, they, they still don't understand who God is. They still don't get who Jesus is. And all of a sudden, He's telling them, I'm giving you the authority to go do what I'm going to do. And you got to imagine in this moment, they're kind of like, what in the world? But he gives them in detailed instruction on what to do. And it isn't until the point where he says, there's going to come a time in your ministry where you're going to run up against some hard stuff. You're going to be put in a place that you don't know what to do. That's when the Holy Spirit's going to step in in your life and give you insight and wisdom and words. What's interesting about that is that Jesus didn't say that the Holy Spirit would tell you to open your Bible. And pray every day. He didn't say that the Holy Spirit would tell you to go join this ministry or that ministry. Not that He doesn't. But it isn't always going to be that way. That Jesus just assumed that's the things you're already going to be doing if you're following Him. What He says is when you're doing what I've called you to do, those who love me keep my commandments. When you're keeping my commandments, you're eventually going to run into a hard place. That's where my Spirit's going to give you the wisdom and power you need to overcome it. But it isn't just this feeling that calls you to do everything all day long. You should already be living like Jesus. You should already be following Jesus in your life. And when you come up against the hard parts of life, that's where He says the Holy Spirit will show up and empower you to overcome these things. My helper, I have to go. You have to let something go to receive the gift. And this helper, this helper can convict you of your sin. It can show you how to live righteously in the world. And it shows you the justice that is needed, not just for your actions, but for the action of others. I want to close with this real quick. I thought it was interesting, one of the things that Jesus says right before He ascends, is He begins to tell the disciples what's going to happen next. And He tells them, you're going to be My witnesses. He says, in Jerusalem, 
Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. You're going to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. What I thought was interesting, and I shared this with my youth uh, Wednesday, was he put Samaria in there. Now, the disciples, the Jews, they didn't like the Samaritans. This was, this was a mutual relationship. But not just, I think, saying they didn't like them is even underselling it. They literally thought they were less than human. These are like their half-breed cousins. They thought they were less than human. They were willing, a fear, hey, look, the fear of being robbed and murdered was better than walking through Samaria. They would rather walk days around to get to where they needed to go than to walk through Samaria. How interesting is it that Jesus tells them for the gospel to explode to the rest of the world, you got to go through the place you hate. I think for some of you, that might be the question today. I, I have no doubt, I've been day spring a little while now, that this is a church that, that believes in God. This is a church that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think some of you have probably been sitting stagnant in your faith and you're wanting to know why the Holy Spirit hadn't exploded in your life. And maybe it's because you're unwilling to walk through the Samaria of your life. Where's that place in your life that you hate? Where's that place in your life that it's uncomfortable to drag up? Where's that place in your life that may be painful to think about or talk about? And God's saying, until you go through that, until you give me that, the gospel will not explode into every aspect of your life. And I think this is what he's trying to tell the disciples. You're going to have to let some things go if you want to receive the gift. You might have to walk through Samaria if you want the gospel to explode in your life. For some of you, how close is Samaria to the words some area? You may have to walk through some area of your life that you don't like to, that you think is uncomfortable and painful, for God to explode into all aspects of your life. But He's given us His helper to convict, to help us to walk in the right way, to be in right relationship with Him, and to bring justice into a world that desperately needs to see the love and compassion of God. Walk in that truth, Dayspring, today. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to God, we thank You so much for who You are. And we thank You for loving us so dearly that You would give us Your Spirit, a Spirit of power, a Spirit of wisdom, a Spirit of, of patience, of mercy and compassion, but a Spirit that is just. Lord, allow us to live in those truths. Allow us to to live with those convictions. Allow us to be willing to let go of the things in our life that don't belong, that are not of You, so that You can fill those with Your presence, so that You can explode into every aspect of our life, into our hobbies, into our finances, into our job, our workplaces, into our schooling, our athletics. It doesn't matter. Let us be free of all things. Let us give you access to the entirety of our lives. No more of this guest room. You want to live in the main house. And you want all of us, not just a part of us. And allow us to give that over today. Allow us to, to be filled with your Spirit. Because we, we live in a world today that so desperately needs your Spirit poured out upon it. You've called us your hands and feet. and Allow us to be that in the realest way possible. Allow us to reflect you in this world today. We love you and we thank you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen.